Welcome to our podcast, Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem Laced with Morality, where all authors and experts are invited to share, learn, and together make this a better world where light pierces through the darkness with the spoken and written word. Well, I'm excited about our guest today and really his family because this is um, a repeat um, visit he's having with us. And I had the honor of first meeting him at the Killer Nashville's Writers Conference. And so I'd like you to welcome my old friend, Dr. Randy Overbeck, who is a great example of writing what you know. Let me just remind you about him. Um, In pursuing his literary career, Dr. Randy Overbeck has clearly heeded his sage advice from the beginning. He has chosen to set his narratives, whether edge of your seat thriller, classical whodunit or eerie ghost story squarely in the realm of school. His three plus decades of experience as a teacher, professor, and school leader has infused his writing with a rare authenticity about the world of education, even as a protagonist of his tales tackle daunting outsized challenges. In his career, Dr. Overbeck has held a wide range of positions and has brought his knowledge and insight to the characters he's created. For example, in his early years, he served as an English teacher and a student newspaper advisor, much the same as D.D. Sturber, the heroine of Leave No Child Behind. Leave No Child Behind makes me laugh because I'm thinking about it um, in an old um, educational, uh, it was a whole uh, push for Leave No Child Behind. It makes me laugh. So if if you're an old head or you've been around for a while in education, it's Nothing is new under the sun. But Leave No Child Behind, a thriller, is about the terrorist takeover of a small town school and the teacher who confronts intruders in her own hallways was published in 2010. But Dr. Overbeck is here to discuss his latest book. I can't wait to dive in. So welcome. Can can we just say Randy, Randy and Catherine? We certainly yeah. can, Catherine. Great. I okay. Yeah. So I'm delighted so t- for having me back. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's so it's so good to have you back. Um, did you enjoy Killer Nashville? I did. I, this year. I I made some more good connections, saw yeah. some good sessions, and I got some agents interested in my new work. So all in all, that's a very good, very good uh, workshop conference. Yeah, yeah, amen. That's right. So um, you've got your book with you, and for those of you uh, able to watch this on on video. You can see that this is a incredible um, cover. Uh, he's got his book, Cruel Lessons, and it's a terrifying, terrifying cover because it's got a school in the background. And the last thing we want to think about are cruel lessons when it comes to schools, right? But I, I, chose, that, I chose that title because of the uh, everything that happens within the context of school. <clears throat> and the fact that uh, the protagonists have to learn some very difficult lessons as they're trying to sort out. The, the story is really about um, a, a rogue hallucinogenic drug that some middle schoolers get their hands on, steal mm. a car, and then crash and die. And oh, wow. the, the basic basic plot of the story is the school people working with the cops trying to figure out who's behind pushing the drugs into the into the middle school so they can stop it before more kids die. Hmm. You know, that's, 
Well, that's a very real thing that school administrators deal with. A lot of times people would say, because you and I, we both, we have that in common. We, right. we come from a background of school administration. I was a principal for many years. And people would be like, oh, that's so glamorous. You're a principal. And they didn't realize the dark, the dark side of being a principal, the stuff that we didn't see. And even when I, they assumed, because I, I, I served in a lot of wealthy school districts and they assumed, oh, you're in this nice neighborhood, you know, you're not going to have any problems. But there, it was, <laughs> there was drug, sex and rock and roll That's fine. on steroids. Yeah. And so there to do with, with class, every level, every level likes to indulge in those things and yes. all of them create problems. And mm -hmm. you're right. School administrators have to deal with that in their building. Yeah. Yeah. And the dark side, you know, um, the, a lot of times we would grab, cause I never, I would sub to, they had this whole, this, this whole thing. Sometimes we would, um, principals, if you had an admin, you could share your, your, um, assistance. And when I was an assistant principal, I would sub for the principal oh, yeah. and sub in a high school or a middle school. Terrifying. They were terrifying things that they had to worry about. All of us have to worry about things. But the one thing that was a, a concern were students leaving campus over lunchtime. And some a lot of principals decided not to do it because it, there were lots of issues, accidents. The last thing we want is for a, a child to die in an accident, drugs, alcohol. And so what it, it was eye-opening to sub at, at that level, seeing the other things that they grappled with that were very disturbing. Yeah. Well, in the story that I've created, I've, de I've deliberately victimized very young children because, in fact, the, the kids who die are fifth graders. And Jeez. But they actually get the drugs from the high school, you know, as that would happen and stuff. And um, the the administrators have to try to figure out where the drugs are coming from. There's all kind of political overtones because the board is worried about blowback from the community. They have to pass a bond. They have to have, they have to pass a, an operating level. You know, so all of those factors that I was familiar with uh, fa work in. And what, yeah. what was different about this than every other book I've written is all of the all of the characters, good and bad, are all school people. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, every, every level of school people are in there. So board members, uh, custodians, principals, administrators, teachers. And part of the uh, interesting part of the book is the readers have to sort out who are the good guys and who are the bad guys as they go through the sort. Yeah. Another thing that's really important about this book is I chose to set it in 1994. Huh. And I did that on purpose for, for a couple, two, two very important reasons. Well, the first, probably most important reason is that I think the metaphor of what drugs do to kids is better if it's moved away from the current situation. So okay. I didn't want to talk about I didn't want to talk about hair. I didn't want to talk about those things. But yeah. I wanted to place it sometime in the past so nobody mm. could argue, well, you got this wrong. Or, and the drug is a fictional drug. There is no, it's an imaginary drug. But okay. the other reason is that at 1994, in the mid-90s, we had these supposed anti-drug programs that were virtually worthless. You know, just say <laughs> no. And, and the their drugs... And, and this none is your of brain on drugs. Remember that with the, um, with right. the uh, right. fried egg? Yeah. Yep. So 
none of those from the data from that proves that none of them had any real effect on mm-hmm. keeping drugs out of the school. So I thought it was good placed in that context to uh, mm-hmm. to show how, show that aspect of the story as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, just to show the different initiatives, it it makes so it makes you wonder what is it that really works in in drug prevention. I also, like that you involve all of the different um, people involved in running a school and the political aspect of being a board member and the pushback, like you said, from for a lot of things, and you realize this is all to keep up appearances. Sometimes it's not really what's good for the students or good for teachers or or just good for running schools overall. It's just what's good to make the district look good and keep them out of um, the news, especially in a negative way. I I, I didn't know. I worked for several school districts and there were some districts that uh, wanted to be good. There are other districts didn't care about being good. They wanted to look good. They wanted to, oh, that's so good. There's a distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so so can you, you've already shared a little bit about the book, but just, I just want to give you a gift of an open-ended question. Just tell us a little bit about the book. Well, one of the things that I had a lot of fun with, yeah. <clears throat> although it is a challenge, is that there are actually seven different POVs in this book. Oh. So there are, there are two primary POVs. Our, 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 our two heroes is a, a school administrator, an assistant superintendent, and an elementary school teacher. So... Those are the that that's who primarily the story is told through, but you mm-hmm. also get to see what's going on through the eyes of the custodian. You also get to see what's going on through the eyes of another teacher. Uh, from you get to see how a eighth grade student might be reacting to this. So there, mm-hmm. I deliberately brought in different POVs to be able to uh, be able to show people different aspects of the stories, and it also brings and it also ramps up the. The, the the suspense some because you're wondering well is this the person who's pushing the drugs you know so it's mm-hmm. it, it made it yeah. it made it more challenging to write but it also made it more fun to write so so what would what do you think the value would be in showing the perspective of the custodian because people might not might assume that a custodian oh they're 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 just cleaning the school they don't have to do it they don't have to they don't have anything to contribute to the school dynamics. Uh, they could. One of the things that I learned early on as an administrator is that for the school culture, the custodians, the bus drivers, the secretaries are actually as as important. Sometimes, from a community perspective, they're more important than uh, the teachers and the administrators. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, bus drivers are the first person and last person to see a kid every day, so mm-hmm. they either make the kid's day or they kill the kid's day. The secretary, yeah. there are a whole host of people in the community that the only way they ever know the school was from the secretary's voice. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, of course, that's gone away because nobody does phone calls anymore. But in my day, <clears throat> and more importantly, in when the school when the story is set, secretary is really important. The, mm-hmm. the, um, the custodian, uh, we learn in the school, is the person who really knows what's going on in the school. Mm-hmm. He, he's kind of... Uh, everybody else ignores him, so he tends to pick up things that other people wouldn't notice. Mm-hmm. That becomes an important character in the story because he's able to move around. People don't notice him, even though he's a very imposing figure. But because he's the custodian, he's invisible. So right. It, yeah. It makes a very good story character. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. And I I love that you talked about the school secretary. I mean, one school we were I was at um, the secret the the office staff was just known to be really um, rude and. Um, they're still the face of the school, though, even even in even in present day times. And even though we have much more automation, it's difficult to get an actual person. They're still the face of the school. And you do have to be careful about who you allow represent you. And I, I had to have a sit down and I was like, I know you guys are wonderful. You're you're awesome. But you're rubbing the community the wrong way. And we have to change that. And so it was about professionalism. It was about how 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 do you project yourself to the community? We don't, we don't want to let them feel like they're an afterthought, like we're, bo- they're bothering us. Right. And, and with training and I mean, serious training and serious, honest conversations about that, we, we were able to turn that around and that the office staff won a, um, a huge distinction. It was a service award in the, in the district. So it, I'm so glad you pointed out all this juicy stuff. So well, and I, one of the things that readers will find, one of their favorite characters in this book will be yeah. the school secretary. Oh, so, I love uh, it. An older woman, you know, a grand, grandmother type that um, uh-huh. is kind of the our anchor for the school and stuff. So I, uh, people, mm-hmm. will, I think, will smile when they read the passages about her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, it re- maybe reminds me of my one of my former secretaries. Uh, we still stay in touch to this day, and um, yeah, they're pivotal. They they're the heart. They can be the heart of the the school. Yep. So, w- what did you learn when writing the book? Anything? Well, one of the things I need to share. This is actually the very f- <clears throat> the skeleton of this story is actually the mm-hmm. first story I ever wrote. Oh, so I I wrote the basic structure of this book 30 years ago oh my and not okay. that, 25 years ago and it's been yeah. sitting in the virtual drawer all this time for me to be to get my skill level to the point where i could tell the story in a in an effective mm-hmm. way so it's kind mm-hmm. of like my newest work and my oldest work at the same time i love and that what i found was i mean what i noticed a whole lot writing is that when i looked at the old version i was amazed how much i did not know you know how many mm-hmm. mistakes I made, you know, I, I, I went over and over again. So the whole book actually was rewritten, but, but the basic story, the main characters, those pieces are all the same in there. Um, yeah. I had to do a great deal of research in this. So uh, there's a place where uh, the, the, one of the main, it's the main characters, uh, the female teacher, mm-hmm. uh, she's been thrown in jail and she's handcuffed. Oh. I don't know about you. I've never been thrown in jail. I've never been handcuffed. No, so I actually thank had, God. Local, had the local cops take me, handcuff me, put me in jail, close the door, you know, because I wanted to feel what that felt like on the wrist. I wanted to see, you know, those kinds of things. Really? Yes. I, 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 I'm, I'm really, when I get into my work writing, I'm really deep into research. I'll do, I won't do anything. Now, the, the drug part is all imaginary, but I did go to people a few who had had a rather checkered past <laughs> made sure that what I was inventing was kind of in line. So the, the drug in this case is a, um, is a drug that's more powerful than LSD 
Wow. And it, and it enters the bloodstream through a tattoo, through a, a, a tattoo that kids attach to their arm. So Okay. And they, and they get hallucinations and all that kind of stuff. So like to do that, I, I had no idea what, I mean, I did do my research. I did read and I write, but I had to go to somebody who had actually had LSD. It actually had drug experience. And he went, no, 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 that's not right. You can't say it that way. You got it. So, I mean, those parts, uh, there are parts about automobiles in here that are very specific that I, <clears throat> and I am not a car guy. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. my thing. So I had to go to a mechanic and say, well, how would this work? Does this, so, you know, when people read it, they really won't think I'm talking about schools. I'm talking about stuff I know, but even with something like this, I was surprised how much research I had to do to make sure that the story was authentic, that people will read it and go, Oh, okay. Yeah. That, I can see where that would happen. Yeah. You would be, I think what's, and I was going to ask you what surprised you the most, but I, I think that, I think you've kind of answered that question because I, I've been shocked in writing, um, some of the, the the things that I thought were minor have taken me so long to get it right to because of the extensive research um, around it. But we, we appreciate readers appreciate when authors put in the work and the effort to do that because there's so many people that come from so many different backgrounds who read your work and someone is sure to be able to call us out if we don't get something yeah, I, right. The um. You're exactly right. Now, one of the advantages, which you and I probably both share, that I will say, because I got my doctorate, I became, that that really ramped up my ability to do research. Yeah. So what I did is I took those same skills and applied that into the writing area. So mm-hmm. just, just to give you an example, so my new my new my newest work that I'm shopping now isn't anything like this. It's about the... Um, the Culper ring, that's the Revolutionary War spy ring that George Washington had. Oh. Um, and I've actually um, created a fictional char- female character. So the, okay, the, the, the brief thing is, the Culper ring was made of six men and one woman that Washington, that worked with Washington to help win the Revolutionary War. It was a very secret thing. The identities of the, of the, of the men were not, all of them were not, revealed until 1920. So the last guy oh. was, and they have never been able to identify who the woman was. So oh, wow. I created a woman to fill that role in that actual historic, in the actual historical events. So mm. doing the research to be able to make sure that that was authentic took me untold hours, but <laughs> I love it. I, that's what I love to do. I love to dig in and go, Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. In the story, there's a great fire. I don't know. I didn't know that. But in 1776, there was a huge fire that destroyed a whole third of New York City. Oh, wow. So that's a big portion of the world. That's one section of the book. So I had to find out exactly, well, what, who did they think started the fire and where did the fire go and, you know, what happened to people and stuff. So, but that's, that, that's what fuels me as a writer is mm-hmm. going in. My newest uh, podcast, which will be out this week. Is about uh, is about Anne Perry, the renowned British author with over a hundred titles, and yeah. it amazes me that she she her 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 work is has such great authenticity. She wrote uh, stories in the Victorian eighteenth century, and then early no nineteenth century, and then early twentieth century, and then in the nineteen thirties. And each part of her books have such she. 
I don't know. I have no idea how she did that much research and then produced a hundred books in about thirty some years. I, I does she know. have time? I don't because no, you and I, I know how how long research takes, and I, at least yeah, at least now we have the internet, you know. But right. when I did my doctorate, um, we had. I mean, okay, it's not like I did my doctorate in in the in the eighteen hundreds, but I did have the internet. wasn't wasn't like it is now, but. I had to do lots of time in the library, lots of research. Oh yep. my goodness! Um, and I'm sure so, that I think Anne just all, from what I've read, there there weren't there weren't other as an adult there weren't a lot of other people in her life. I think every everything was for writing. That's what she yeah. did. Mm -hmm. Regardless of that, the, to be mm -hmm. able to produce those kinds of books with that kind of research and the books of quality, not just right. ripping them off instead of I mean. Clearly a great talent, but certainly a lot of work to get there. So that's, you know, I, I've learned to respect that. And, and, and like you, I work really, really hard. Everybody says, well, how long does this take you to write? Well, I, you know, I said, well, do you mean research and write? Do you mean, <laughs> you, doing, you know, um, because often, as you know, that many of these chapters were probably written five times, six times. I didn't like yes. where it was. Change this around, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, mm -hmm. Take this out. So. Yeah, but it is a work of love. Somebody said, well, why do you do that? You don't make any money to speak of. And I said, the only reason you should ever do this is because you love it. If you don't love it, you then love don't it. do it. That's it. Yeah. If you happen to be fortunate and make money, God bless you, but you better do it because you love it. Yeah. So, so you were, um, you were just touching on your pr process a little bit. For me, I don't go to another. I don't go to the next chapter unless I feel like I've nailed my current chapter that I'm working on. What about you? How, do you? Um, what's your no, process I like? I don't think that's a, that's not exactly how I do it, but it's close. So, generally, what happens is I will write a chapter, and if I'm lucky, I'll get a chapter done in a day. If I'm very mm -hmm. lucky. Now, my chapters are very short, uh, five pages, six pages, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Mine are like that, yeah. The next day, the very first thing I will do is go back to the previous chapter and rewrite. Mm -hmm. I'll find something I didn't like, I switch words around, I didn't, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and then I'll write another chapter. And then the next day, I'll often go back two or three chapters back. So very often there's three or four different revisions that are gone in the chapter. And, and I have to mention this, that probably the most critical element to improving my writing has been the writer's group that I belong to. Mm. So I, so what we do in our writer's group is there's a group of about half a dozen of us and we're on zoom. Now we're actually on discord, but same thing, but, mm -hmm. um, and we put our chapter up and read it out loud to the rest of the group, all of which have, and then they criticize it. They say, what about this? And how could you do this? That, they have brought to light aspects, sometimes problems in my writing, but often aspects that need to be strengthened that I would never have been able to see by myself. I don't care how many times I go, I go through the manuscript. They see mm -hmm. things I don't see. Yeah. That, and then I have an outstanding uh, di diagnostic editor who we both know, Beth, uh, or Jaden Terrell, Beth Terrell. Oh, wow, uh, yeah. 
who does a remarkable job of looking at the book and going, well, I think it's good except this piece for that, you know. So those things are crucial, in my opinion, to doing. Here's what I want. I don't want this. I don't want anybody to see this unless it's the absolute very best I can do. Yes. You know, I, yeah. uh, I, I can't say that the one that came out first, the, the uh, leave no child behind, it's not as good as this, but it's as good as I could do mm-hmm. 10 plus years ago, you know, mm-hmm. and this is, this is as good as I could possibly make it. And the new one, I hope is going to be as good as I can do it by the time it sees the light of day. You know, that's my goal. Do you have a title for the other one? It's called, well, I mean, it was, you know, sometimes the publisher decides that, but it, right now it's called Ab- Abigail 355. Huh. And the reason it's called Abigail 355 is, is I, I'm, I'm trying to put something that readers will go, what? Uh, mm-hmm. In the Culpa Ring, each of the individuals in the Culpa Ring were identified by a number. The woman was oh. identified by number 355. Okay. I, I'm actually... I'm actually attracted to books and movies with numbers in the title. My family picked that out. I, I don't know what it is. Give me a number. I'm all over it. (laughs) I hope there's lots of you out there that will go. (laughs) I hope so. Yeah. Well, what about, um, the characters? Can you tell us about one of the characters that maybe you find interesting and you'd like to share a little? the two main characters because it's a little different because the main characters are middle-aged people. So normally, you know, you have young people who are, and the, I deliberately wanted to do, wanted to write a story that wasn't about 20 year olds. Yeah. It was about, so these two characters are in their Uh forties. The, the, uh, the administrator, the, uh, the assistant superintendent, his name is Ken Parks. Um, He has a troubled marriage and he has one son and he's struggling and, He's a very successful uh, assistant superintendent, but he has a secret in his past that is mm. kind of dragging him down. Um, and about and the secret has to do with something that happened to one to his to his brother and had to do with drugs. So there's a connection oh. between what's going on here. The mm. other the other primary character um, is uh, Stacy. And Stacy Thompson and Stacy is a fourth grade teacher. And I will give a little bit of this away. She ends up being framed as the one in the store as oh. the one pushing the drugs. So, but we see it from her perspective, and she has problem drug problems in her past. So hmm. all of these pieces come together um, to make the to create a little more tension in the story. Um, hmm. uh, Ken, the administrator, likes this teacher. Doesn't believe she could be the one doing it. So, even when the even when everybody else thinks differently, he keeps pushing. You know, he gets threatened. So, all of those people, and and I think I've created uh, some layered individuals because this is mm-hmm. a this is a this is a guy carrying a really heavy weight from what happened to his brother years ago that mm-hmm. he feels somehow responsible for. Um, and the woman, as she had a a serious issue when she was much younger, uh, mm. a young mother. So, uh, you know, I think that will make, I think that will draw the readers into those characters, or at least I hope it will. Do you, do you find that um, sometimes your characters become a mixture of people that you've known? Almost all the characters that I write 
are either are are almost all of them are composites of people that I've worked with. So yeah. I, mm -hmm. I usually the good the good characters are almost always someone who inspired me that I worked with when I was yeah. and the bad characters are much the same way. You know, the recent the amazing <laughs> thing is I found out that there were people Oh, schools like anybody else, we have mostly 95% really wonderful, unselfish, right. people. Yeah. 5% of the people who are there for their own benefit or because they think it's easy or whatever. <laughs> it didn't take very much to turn those 5% into a villain. It just right. takes you know. And then all you need is, all you need is a few of them. To right. just destroy a school. Oh my gosh, destroy exactly. the culture, morality. I mean, yep. that's yeah, exactly. the energy. Yeah, it's it just, it, you don't need many. Yeah, that's how life is. But, so now what about secrets? Do you ever hide secrets only a few people will find in your books? You know, I, you know like putting out like Easter eggs. I don't really, there's not too many times when I'm, I'm not, I'm not really good at that. It's not a strength of mine. And I'm not, yeah. it's not. I'm trying to think if in this particular book, would you find any of those things? Some, uh -huh. uh, there will be people who are old enough that have a clear memory of those years that will, that will catch things that other people won't catch. You know, okay. but by and large, um, outside of that, probably not. Um, you okay. know, they'll notice. So Ken has a car phone. Oh, because it knows. <laughs> you were something if you had a car phone right. oh was, my gosh and it explains how he happened to get the car phone blah 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 but uh -huh. anyway so small things like that people who went through that period will go oh okay i recognize that yeah but that's mm -hmm. probably all i have to offer in that area okay yeah that's fun and then how long does it usually take you to write a book well you know i um, it took me 25 years for this one, but yeah, uh, well, <laughs> that's, um, that's both probably, good and bad. <laughs> probably, um, you know, the, in the, in the Haunted Shore mystery series, the first book took me 18 months. The second book took 12 months and the third book took six months, but that kind of was cheating because the third book was written during the pandemic when I didn't have oh. other demands on my life. So, right. I could, I was able to spend a lot more time writing. So, you know, I guess, you know, it, this, this book is a little longer, so it would take, would have taken longer. How long did it actually take me to, since I had the skeleton of what the story was when I first started writing, it probably mm -hmm. took me a good nine months to get this from mm -hmm. where I had it originally to get it to some kind of shape that I thought was going to work before I started on the revision. Mm, okay. That's good. And then do you have, do you have like a ritual or a process? You know, some people, they've got to straighten up their office. They light a candle. They play music. No, I find that I actually write better if I have music playing, but the mm -hmm. music can't have any words to it. Yeah, same. <laughs> uh, and and I, I'm very, I'm very eclectic. I like new age. I like jazz. I like classical. Yeah. I like movie thing. You know, I, then I mm -hmm. try to alternate that all the time so that I'm get, having a different, I even have one called dog music, you know, which is just quiet. Dog music. And, that's, and Pandora, that's a, that's a, that's a channel called dog music. But, I, but, I didn't know this. How did I not know this? And I'm I, a dog mom. What, how did somebody I? Somebody else told me about that. I don't even have a dog. And they said, we'll try it. This kind of, anyway, but all of that, <laughs> it seems, to, I think what it does is it isolates me 
um, uh, my, we live in a in a nice one floor uh, uh, condo, uh, and but I can close the door. My mm-hmm. wife's in the other part. I, I won't bother her. I turn the music on. It's just me and the manuscript. Um, mm-hmm. And I tend to write better, even sometimes a little faster with the music on than if it's quiet. Yeah, same. That's, yeah, uh, that's probably the only ritual that I that I have. Right. Yeah. You know, the other thing I want to call out, which I think is really important to why the book is as good as it is, is I think we met, we talked about this last time. I, did, I don't know whether you remember, but I have a system of beta readers that are really, really important. Mm. So I have a I have a system of about ten beta readers. It fluctuates depending on the book, mm-hmm. uh, and I send the the manuscript to them in thirds. So I get the first third of the manuscript done and send it to them. Mm-hmm. They these are not writers. This is this is different than the writing critique group. Yeah, and they. They will read it, and I, each 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 section comes with a set of questions they have to respond to. So, oh, and the questions are about you know character development. Uh, was there a place where it was bored? Was the description over? You know those kinds of things that matter to readers. And I take all of that information and feed it back into this as I move through. So I send when I get the first third done, and I send to the second third done, and the, and then the third third. So, and I have found that to be very you know, I've so shared it with other writers. Who are going, oh, I could never do that. I can't. These, so I know, I know all of these people by now. I didn't know them originally, and I know them well enough that they're honest with me. They don't say, "Oh, this is wonderful," and then hand it back. Um, the questions don't allow them to do that. The questions make them go, "Well, did you find this ending work? Did this work, or do I need to?" Mm-hmm. For example, in the new book that I'm doing, which is a very long, it's historical, so it's long. Yeah. But one of the, and when I was in the middle of the of the book, I asked him, "Would this be better as two books? Stop here, make book one. Stop here, make book two. And I used their their recommendations in terms of trying to decide how I was going to pitch it. Just, just wow. Yeah. How I did put, you find your beta readers? Um, I put a thing out on my email to ask people who were interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are teachers, so they're not writers, but they're teachers, so they have background. Um, mm-hmm. Most of them are women, not all. There's a few guys. And that's really important because all of, I think I think this is true, almost all of my books have a female character and usually POV. Mm. So I, I, it's really important that I have female readers that read that and go, uh, I, a woman wouldn't do that. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you found it difficult to write from another perspective like that. You know, I, I don't, and that I feel comfortable enough that they will catch me mm-hmm. when I stray into maleness, which they do. <laughs> um, and they will say, no, a woman would not say that. They would say this yeah. instead. Here's, a, here's an example. So uh, in the first book of The Haunted Shore Mysteries, one part of that story is told through a diary of a 16-year-old from the 60s. So hmm. that's how okay. that's how the protagonist starts piecing together what happened to the murder victim. Uh, ends up, okay. He knows that he ends up getting lynched. So, but I have some people in my uh, beta group that are or beta readers that are old enough that they actually did that. So in, when they were in their teens, they wrote a diary. They So they mm-hmm. were able to look at my diary entries and go, 
no, no, no. A girl wouldn't write that. A girl would. Write... <laughs> so they, I mean, those kind of things, they've been very, very valuable. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. Uh, so you mentioned two things that I absolutely love. We talked about the value of critique groups. I, I can't preach that enough. Uh, I belong to three. Yeah. Uh, and I see three. Yeah. Let me think. Yes, I do. Three different groups. Um, and they are invaluable because we do that. We have actually, we have someone else um, read, read our piece aloud because, and that's through uh, Word Weavers International. I can't take credit for that process. And I've heard the reason, yeah, the reason someone else reads your work is because we have a tendency to put in words. We know our story. So we'll add a word that's not there. Like if there's a missing end, we'll put it in. Yes. And so somebody else reads your work and then everybody else, you know, you know, you, you offer um, feedback, you know, that's constructive. And so that is invaluable. And then you talked about the importance of beta readers that that is absolutely incredible. Um, and something that lots of us need to take note of because instead of waiting for the end of the story to get your beta readers, you're doing it in thirds and it makes, it's making me rethink my process. That's a really, that's a really neat approach because you could probably avoid lots of issues later down, later, later on down the road. If you did that. Well, I I will be honest with you. There are, there are times I've changed some Mm -hmm. aspect, not the main plot, but some aspect Mm -hmm. of the story because of feedback I got from beta readers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or beta readers will say, well, we want to know more about this character. And I'm going, well, I didn't think about that. So, you know, <laughs> and the, the key here, I think, is having more than one. You got yeah. to have multiple beta readers because different people have different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And, and not and have some you, you have to have people who are not afraid to give criticism as well as praise. Mm hmm. Because they all want to say, oh, you're wonderful. I'm going, I appreciate that. That doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, we need the uh, constructive feedback. Yeah, we got We have to know the good things, but we need to know where the holes are, how we can be stronger. Right. I, one of the questions I always ask is, was there any place in here where you stopped reading, where you, where your mind went somewhere else, where you... Mm-hmm. And they're very good at picking those places out going, well, you know, on page so-and-so. Yeah. Again, yes, writing is a solitary act, but you couldn't, you couldn't fix those areas because you as a writer can't see them. Somebody else has to see them for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that's, it. That's really important to my process. I, you know, I, and I tell them all the time, I'm very, very grateful. Um, um, in fact, I'm waiting for, the beta readers to give me the response on the last third of the one I was just telling you about the, okay. the one. Oh, wow. Reward. In fact, they're just coming in the next three or four days. So I usually give them about two to three weeks to do the reading. Someone will have it back to me the next day. Oh, wow. Will be a little, take a little longer than that. Some will give me a complete annotated, edited, do, 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 even though I never <laughs> asked that. Um, so I get a whole range, but the, the responses are always very helpful. Provided you have people who are going to tell you the truth. That's really the cat. To tell you the truth, yeah. You have to be comfortable letting them do that. Okay. Exactly. So now you, because you write across genres, do you, are all of your books standalone or do you ever have books that 
could possibly part be part of a series. Well, the first now the the, the haunted tour mysteries. There are three books in that series. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. the ones I that the, those are the mo- my most recent books. Mm-hmm. Blood on the Chesapeake, that's Crimson right, yeah. May, and Scarlet Crystal River. And I will be working this winter on a fourth in that series. Ooh, okay, okay, um, wonderful. Th- this this book that I had, the new one that's coming out, is the first in a new series. So this will okay. take the same two main characters. I haven't decided exactly how I'm going to, uh, well, I'm going to keep them in the same school or a different school, but they'll be in this, they'll be in the next two, I'm planning two, I'm planning three uh, in this one, but these will be more, this is a mystery, but it's mm-hmm. also a thriller. The, I think the three in this are going to be more of a thriller category. For example, the the next story on here is going to be about a, about a school shooting involved. Mm. So, yeah. Um, a sad reality that um, schools have to face. Yes. It was something I grappled with uh, as a school administrator. It was absolutely terrifying. Even the drills, the drills drain you. I would come home with a migraine every time we had to do a shooter drill. Um, just, yeah, it's unthinkable the things that schools have to grapple with. Kids, teachers, administrators. That would be a book that's that that's truly speaking to what's going on in our times. Yeah. Mm. And I'll probably set it at the time when the school shooting started. Mm. Which with is Columbine. Columbine. Yeah. Columbine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Around Columbine. It won't be Columbine, of course, but it'll be No. Columbine. And that's yeah. Um, and Columbine is kind of interesting because it was such a weird you know, it's not an inner city school. It's <laughs> not you know, so it kind of is a is a uh, cautionary tale for everybody. Well, that was it. That that was a misconception. They thought that that those kinds of things were taking place in the inner city, in the hood. Right. And I think one of the most uh, terrifying things was when I was a young administrator then, and we had the. Um, this was an initiative by the that was put forth by the government to keep schools safe, and so the the detectives. I, I anticipate there were some of them may have been FBI agents, etc. They were sent to school districts that profiled like Columbine. And so we found out um, that the only, and so let me just back this up. This was because they had been researching and they had, they, they were concerned that something like that was going to happen years before it happened because of the uptick in, in things that they were seeing. Um, And FBI, right. The FBI. And so they said, the 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 criteria was that the neighborhood was was mostly white and the the male in the household had an earning potential i think at that time um the male in the household had, was making six figures we were like that's the only criteria <laughs> <laughs> well that's all the schools in our district you know uh, and they were like, exactly. That's why we're here. And they're like, we're going across the na- across the the United States, speaking to districts like you to prevent this. Well, obviously, it didn't prevent it because it's it's sicker than that. We can't be in the homes. We can't. We can only do so much as as um, people who work at schools. And you understand that. Yeah. Um, it Randy, was terrible. But- I agree. I mean, there were a couple of times where we caught kids with guns. We we never mm-hmm. had an incident, but. We caught yep. kids with guns and kindergartners, kids. first graders. Oh, it's just, 
Yeah, it's no matter how safe parents think that they are, the, the little ones are watching and they're so smart. And sometimes we forget, we don't do our due diligence. But um, I just love that um, you really keep our, the readers thinking that you there's um, this cult, cultural relevance that that speaks in your books, you know. And I imagine even the book that's a historic that's going to be the, that's a historical fiction. There'll be things that will resonate with us even even right even now. I I think um, people will be surprised, you know, by with what they will learn in terms of where we are now from where we came at that yeah. particular point and stuff. Yeah, I, I was. I was astonished by what I learned in all my research. It was amazing. I mean, you know, you and I are PhDs. I thought I knew pretty much 95% of everything that's in this novel. I, yeah. I knew when I did the research. I, I didn't uh, know. All that. It's amazing. That's why I love historical fiction. I love editing it because it makes, because I go, I'm all about authenticity. So I will have to go back and make sure, check fact, you know, check facts. Um, make sure that things are are are, be, are historically accurate. And you're right; you learn so much. You're like, how did I not know this was happening then? Um, there's, there's so it makes me feel hard. like how far we've come so far, but yet we haven't. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, for me, from the person who is in charge of curriculum, I'm going. Well, how come none of this was ever taught as part of the Revolutionary War? Right. You know, yeah. Uh, you don't whitewash the way we teach revolutionary war exactly, but we make it so um, simple. I guess that's the best way to put it. I, I think uh, we do a, a poor job at, at teaching history in our, I mean, I think that's why it's so boring because it's all whitewashed and oversimplified. And so it doesn't stick. Yeah. Well, mm. that's correct. Research says that, that history is the area that we do the worst job. We in do. School. And that's mm-hmm. been the case for decades. It's not. Yeah. And part it's, of uh, now, in you know, in the in my haunted shore mystery series, that's one of the reasons I made my main character a history teacher. <laughs> I, I wanted him to do some positive messages about teach what what you can do with teaching history, and he's big into local history and drawing kids in and stuff like that. So that's kind of the subliminal part about what what the book conveys, at, yeah. at least in the education. You know, what you said at the beginning about the realm of schools, because that's where I'm from. So that's what yeah. I'm writing about. Um, yeah, if I ever had, if I had that magic wand, that was, that's one of the places that I would really want to revamp in our schools, how we, how we teach history um, and how we, we kind of desensitize our students and they, they're kind of like just objective watchers and they don't really, things don't really soak in. It, it was, it would blow me away to see, especially when I went to college to see how our foreign students knew more about our history yeah. in a very different way than, than we did. They were like, yeah, well, what about this? We were like, what about that? <laughs> we weren't taught that. So just, just super interesting, but I can't believe that we're at the end of our time. Uh, I've enjoyed this so much. I, you have to come back and talk about your historical fiction. I, I love historical fiction. Um, and especially something with a spy back then with a, with a female that that's going to be juicy. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Well, certainly I, uh, want, I want to invite them to check out my website, which has just been, which this weekend will be, will be completely refreshed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
check out me on Facebook at Overbeck Randy. Uh, I mean, that's on Twitter. On Facebook, it's Author Randy Overbeck. Instagram, Author Randy Overbeck. And my website is www.authorrandyoverbeck.com. Can't be any yeah. easier than that. Pre-order Cruel Lessons now. Uh, the, the release date is October 11th. Okay, that's wonderful. And and um, who's your publicist? Who's the publicist? Yeah. It's a company you- called PR Status. Uh-huh. Um, they're in Australia. Wow. So, so they're doing uh, publicity internationally for me. Nationally okay. and so. I love it. Okay. They're doing a great job. Well, Dr. Overbeck, it has been such a pleasure to hang out with you again. Um, there's something about colleagues and education. We could go on and on and on for hours yes, about we- just talking shop. It <laughs> I used to drag my husband with me to conferences. He went. He was like, "This is so painful," because he would be talking about the kids and about this and the politics. How's this gonna? You know, we can go on and on. It's just crazy. <laughs> well, and I and I always enjoy uh, our conversations, Catherine. And thank mm-hmm. you so much for having me back. And yeah. I look forward to having a, a a conversation with you in the future. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you again. You you again. You've reminded us about. You know, writing what you what you know, and if you don't know it, make sure you research it. And Amen. so, uh, yes. And so, um, listeners, don't forget to pierce through the darkness with the spoken and written word. <laughs>